that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lavery, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. We're doing hoops today off Ohio State and Purdue on Sunday. Exciting game. And I have, I think, I want to use Purdue as a program and a team to help put Ohio State as a program and a team in context. So Stephen and I were going to do hoops, and I was like, hey, we're talking about Purdue basketball. I wonder if we have anybody who knows about that. And we remember that Nathan Baird is a former Purdue basketball writer. So Nathan's going to join us early on because, Stephen, I, I, Purdue and Ohio State play a lot of good games against each other. Matt Painter's been around forever. I've always liked Matt Painter. Um, and I think it's uh, there are things I think about Purdue and Ohio State basketball that are different, but I think it makes them an interesting comparison. So, Stephen, I want to start off with this. This season, who do you think the better team is? Purdue's ranked a little bit higher. They each have three losses in the Big Ten now. My gosh, it went down to a last second shot at Purdue on Sunday. So, Purdue won, but they were home. Who do you actually think is like the more talented, cohesive, better basketball team this season? Purdue. And part of that is because Ohio State's not fully healthy. So I have no idea what this team looks like right now. Um, Justice Suing is a major part of what they want to do. And he's played two games in a total of like 10 minutes this season because he's been dealing with a groin injury that goes back to last season. And those can always be tricky. And then obviously Seth can give you some things. Seth's not going to be a 20 point score or anything for you, but he was a, a significant rotation player at the end of last season in some of those games when they were playing in the big 10 tournament. So that's another piece who can score for you when needed. So that's two very valuable pieces that they're missing while Purdue is clearly clicking on all cylinders. They came into the game, you know, fourth in the nation in points per game at 84.7. And they've got four legitimate guys who can all, you know, really are offensive threats. And they all were on their game on Sunday afternoons. So right now, Purdue's the better team. Um, but as we saw yesterday, you know, either one of these two teams can win. All right. So the second question then, Stephen, is who do you think is the better program right now, Purdue or Ohio State? which goes beyond just this this year, which goes to recruiting, which goes to overall coaching acumen, which goes towards stability, which goes towards, you know, the ceiling when everything is right. Who's the better program? Purdue right now. But I I know it sounds like I'm saying this, like it's it's clear cut, but part of this is just because Chris Holman doesn't have the postseason success that Matt Painter has, even if it's not, it's just more years of doing it than, the fact that he's gotten to a bunch of final fours or whatnot. Um, so it's Purdue right now. And it's just because of longevity. Okay. So let me then turn to former Purdue expert, Nathan Baird. Nathan, how long did you actually cover Purdue basketball as the primary, primary beat writer for that? Oh, six seasons, I think. Okay. Six or seven. So one of the things that we'll start with off the top is that Matt Painter has never made the final four, which certainly Nathan Baird is I- very aware of. <laughs> I'm oh, sure yeah. that something they, comes up a lot. Aware of it, yeah. Uh, 1980 was the last time uh, Purdue made the Final Four. Um, if there's any really old school fans uh, listening, they might remember guys like you know Joe Barry Carroll, that kind of era. Um, but it's so it's it's that thing that's really hovered over them. They've been you know a, a really good Big Ten program for that whole time, and you know Gene Cady and all those all those great teams that he had, but have never pushed through and got to the final four since then 40 years, 43 years. 
so the thing that I want to get to at the end of this is how maybe we should view Ohio State as a basketball program. And I have a slight theory that evolved over the course of watching Sunday's game. But the Matt Painter era, and again, I've always liked Matt Painter. He came in right around, I think he was one year behind Thad Mata. But Thad, I think Thad's first year, first year was 0405. Painter's first year was 0506. So lots of comparisons in, in between those two coaches. Matt Painter started off against Ohio State. Ohio State was 15 and 5 against Matt Painter, the first 20 times that the Buckeyes played the Boilermakers uh, in the Matt Painter era. That's from the 05-06 season through the 13-14 season. So that's Thad Mata had quite an edge on Matt Painter. Then the end of Thad Mata when the program fell off, the beginning of Chris Holtman, the last 12 games, Ohio State is 4-8 and eight against Purdue. And that includes the game on Sunday. So overall, Ohio State has a 19-13 edge on Matt Painter in the Purdue era. Um, and Stephen and Nathan, that sort of is getting a little bit to what I'm sort of thinking about with Ohio State, because I think Purdue is a very interesting program to compare Ohio State to. There was a time where, Nathan, Purdue and Ohio State were like pretty close to each other, but Ohio State just beat Purdue all the time, right? Like there were, and that, and also Thad Mata got to Final Fours and Matt Painter never did. And I would imagine there was a time when Purdue fans would compare Matt Painter to Thad Mata and be like, why can't Matt Painter be a little more like that? Because we have similar talent. Maybe Ohio State gets a little better talent, but these programs seem alike alike in a lot of ways, except Purdue can't beat Ohio State and Ohio State gets to the final four. And now it's, as Stephen, as you said, right now, it feels like we're Purdue's a better team and a better program. Purdue's won eight of the last 12 against Ohio State. Was that first, Nathan, true? Do you think there was a time when not only Ohio State, but that, for instance, a program like Ohio State would have been something that fans of Purdue might have held against Matt Painter? Yeah, probably a little bit, especially you throw in the fact that Thad Mata had been at Butler just down the road. And presumably, you know, that that adds to it a little bit like, well, why couldn't Purdue have just pulled him away at the time? Although at the same time, um, you know, Matt Painter had a, a kind of a, a not great first year, didn't make the tournament his first year at Purdue, and then made it six years in a row. So they were they were relatively Very successful. Good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, obviously. So um, I, I think what Purdue fans have struggled with a little bit is kind of what I was talking about before. It's like it's that, that relative expanse of really good success and winning Big Ten championships and being in the mix for Big Ten titles until the last weekend and and all those things relative to not taking that next step. They've had that same relationship with things like with a team like Indiana, even their biggest rival, where the the the, the you can't deny that there's a high floor of success, but the ceiling always seems to be much lower than they want it to be. And it's in it. A lot of times it isn't even necessarily that they're clearly getting in the tournament and just failing like something will just there'll be some weird thing that goes wrong or the matchup is just not the right one. Whereas Ohio State was doing a lot of those same good things during regular season two in that era. But then they were the team that was getting through and getting to a final four, getting to a national championship game and being on just a, a stage that has been really elusive for Purdue that whole time. So Steven, the, I'm not trying to make a point that like Thad Mata should still be here or anything, but I do. I just, I am, I've always compared Thad Mata and Matt Painter and Matt Painter, as, as Nathan said, after this, 
stretch of six straight tournaments, then did not win a tournament game for four years. They missed it. They missed it. And then they lost in the first round for two straight years. And he, so he sort of had a similar dip to what Thad had. And then there was the stuff. It's like, is Matt Painter going to leave? Is he going to go to Missouri? But then he stuck around and, and they let him stick around long enough to sort of get it back. And now Matt Painter is in this second run of success where they had made three straight sweet 16s, including an elite eight appearance before the tournament that was canceled. And then last year, Ohio state and Purdue both lost in the first round. Purdue is a four seed Ohio state as a two seed. But Steven, I do think it's interesting that there would have been a time in Matt Painter's career where Purdue and Ohio state were similar, but Ohio state was better, clearly better. And now right now, Ohio state and Purdue are similar, but you're saying Purdue is both a better team this year and a better program overall. And again, it is not, you know, on a scale of one to hundred, it is not Purdue's a 96 and Ohio state's a 63. They're pretty close. You look at um, Matt Painter and Chris Holtman, their records in big 10 play since Holtman took over and Holtman now in year five, Matt Painter is 60 and 27 in big 10 play. Chris Holtman is 52 and 35. So pretty close. And Holtman's first year, Ohio State was 15 and three, tied for second in the Big Ten. They tie with Purdue. So Ohio State and Purdue are both. Mm -hmm. And then they've both had like a good year since then. They've both had a reset year since then. So again, they're pretty similar, Stephen. But it shifted to where Purdue and Ohio State were similar, but Ohio State was better, to where Purdue and Ohio State are similar, but Purdue's better. And that's something about Purdue, but is it also... Do we learn anything about Ohio State through this kind of comparison? Am I just obsessed with Matt Painter? I'm upset. I, there are people. He has a head shaped like a cinder block a little it bit. Is. And I. there are other people. Sometimes you just find like some. I'm not saying like all people from the Midwest have a head shaped like a cinder block. But sometimes you find like good hearty Midwestern people who have a head shaped like a cinder block. And I'm not saying having a head shaped like a cinder block is a good thing or a bad thing. It's just something that I notice. But I think perhaps it, it's one of the reasons is that because I, I know people in my life who have a head shaped like a cinder block. And so Matt Painter kind of reminds me of them sometimes. So whatever. I mean, it's fine. I'm not saying it's about that. I'm not saying it's not about that either. But Stephen, that shift, does that, does that say anything or is it just a weird little tangent that Doug is on? No, kind of. But at the same time, when you put context, especially since Holtman's arrived, he's three and six against Matt Painter. And three of those games have come down to three or less points. There's two of them where it's just Jaden Ivey doing Jaden Ivey things. There's another one where it's an overtime game in the Big Ten tournament in the same game where you also lost Kyle Young for the season to a second concussion. Like there is these I'm saying Purdue, but in terms of that matchup right there, a couple balls roll a little differently. Chris, Chris Holtman's record against Matt Painter is very, very differently. But at the end of the day, you got it's a results business. So you got to you got to go out there and win games. I do think there's an opportunity here for that things to shift a little bit. They don't have to face each other again in the regular season. But if they get to the Big Ten tournament and Ohio State beats Purdue again on a neutral floor in that setting and because mm -hmm. maybe Justice Suing is back by then. And then we do see Ohio State take that next step and getting out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, then this is a more interesting conversation because then it's like, okay, Matt Painter got some wins early on, some of them that could have gone either way, but Chris Holtman just got to the Elite Eight, and it's been a while, Matt Painter, since you've done that, and now we're having a totally, completely different conversation, which is why I say Purdue's the better program, but I'm not. it's not like a that opinion could easily change in four months. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw this after the game on Saturday. I didn't watch the game uh, the other day, but um, the, the the shot Ivy hit 
he ran he he screwed up the play. Like yes. he didn't do the play right. He ran the wrong play. He was supposed to go inside. He got stuck there on the the wing with the ball in his hands and just he's a guy that Purdue hasn't had a player of his caliber at that position. I know Carson Edwards is pretty good and some of the other guards they've had are pretty good, but he's even the next level up, it looks like. And that's kind of the, you know, that's how close those programs are right now that it sometimes is just coming down because uh, Doug, as you mentioned, um, that, that season where they both finished second, was that the, I think that was the year that Kata Bates job hit the shot at the buzzer at Mackey arena yes. at like the next to last mm-hmm. game of the regular season to win that game. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think what ultimately made Michigan state the, conference champion I'm, it's been a few years obviously but um so it's it's that close really between these programs right now and i bet if you were to ask matt painter he would probably remember being very much on the other end of some of those those tight um matchups through that that stretch uh that earlier stretch you were talking about and now it just seems to be swinging in Purdue's favor and again i mean there's just been you know jay the the Evan Turner, Robbie Hummel duel, the one year in mm-hmm. West Lafayette was one of the best sporting events that I've been at in person, you know, that they, they've had some really good games. Um, but I do feel like that Purdue is a little bit back on an upswing and this is not a Purdue basketball podcast. There's, there's one thing I want to get into and then we can let Nathan get back. We, you, you guys, as you listen to on Monday, we're getting this to you a little later on Monday. You know, we're going to have uh, we have football interviews with Ryan Day and a couple assistants Monday afternoon. So when we come back on Tuesday, the Tuesday pod will be all about that. And then Wednesday is signing day and we're anticipating talking to some people on signing day. So we're going to have a lot of football this week with more football information from talking to uh, a lot of people in the Ohio State football program. Stephen, the, the height differential between Purdue and Ohio State is is obvious. I mean, it's stark. It matters, right? I mean, the bigs Purdue is, has had some bigs that they've rolled out. Uh, and that's one of the areas, maybe the only area where it feels like Ohio state and under Chris Holtman has been a little short sometimes with their size. Um, how much did you think that factored in Sunday and why doesn't Ohio state have a seven, three guy? Such an easy question to answer. I mean, yeah, it's why Zed Key spent the entire game doing the same thing we were doing, just watching on the sidelines because he's six foot nine and Edie is seven foot four, seven foot five, or whatever it is. That that basically, I'm not gonna say it decided the game, but it definitely shifted some things there when you don't have an answer for that. Because that, I think Joey Brug played more minutes in the competitive game on Sunday than he played in any game all season, and that's there. That there's a game for him. That's why they brought him in for that game and maybe the Michigan game because you've got to deal with Hunter Dickinson and maybe even the Illinois game because now you've got to deal with Kofi Cooper. And those are the reasons why he's on this roster. Every other game, we won't see him play that many minutes because he's here because if Zed Key gets in foul trouble, somebody's got to guard those guys. So it starts there. The, the whole why doesn't Ohio State have a big man conversation has gone on ever since Caleb Wesson left. He's coming. They finished second for some guys in some recruiting cycles the last couple of years, but there is one coming, Felix Opora, number 50 player, the number 11 center in the 2022 recruiting class out of Missouri. He's six foot 11, 210. He'll obviously need to put some weight on, but he is a rim protector, the type of rim protector they've missed the last two seasons. So that is coming. But they have tried and they've just swung and they've missed on some guys. Uh, is Painter good at that, Nathan? Zach Eady is is a Canadian guy who then went to IMG uh, in Florida. It feels, you know, Caleb, not, not that everybody's been 7'4", but Isaac, what's not Isaac Hayes? What's his name? Isaac Haas. He was Isaac Haas. They just had a, a kid named Matt Harms yep. who was, you know, 6'11", uh, 7'0". 
They had uh, A.J. Hammonds, who people might remember a couple years ago, a seven-footer who was a real rim protector, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. And Caleb Squ- Swanigan wasn't like seven feet tall, but he was like a really big body that you could run stuff through inside, right? I mean, like they, yeah. they've had a history of these guys. Yeah, Swanigan was more um, a – he was not a seven-foot guy. He was more like 6'9". Um, so definitely more of like a power forward that they stretched to center. Um, or really, like they had him playing – power forward next to is the seven footer pretty much his whole time at Ohio state. So, um, but yeah, it's been a a program that has really definitely prioritized that kind of size in the post. I think I I was, I was curious if Steven was, when you said, why don't they have a seven, three guy, why Steven didn't just say, because they don't want one because not every program wants a guy like, because they don't, it, it has to fit the playing style that you want. And it's a real question that Purdue is, has had to kind of deal with because in the modern game, when you put a guy like that on the floor, you're giving something up somewhere. Like you're giving up something in a defensive matchup against a lot of teams. And um, I was having an argument with uh, somebody, uh, an old friend of mine on Facebook recently about, well, why doesn't Purdue play two of those guys together? And I'm like, because it's a defensive catastrophe. And even playing one of those guys can be a matchup that a lot of teams can exploit. Ohio State just had that really rough you know, shooting at the beginning of, of Sunday's game um, where they were one of whatever they were from three for pretty deep into that game. So just one of those games where it just wasn't falling for them and they couldn't take care of, couldn't take advantage of that matchup, but it's, 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 it's what Ohio state or what I'm sorry, what Purdue has made sort of a foundational piece of how it recruits and how it builds talent for a program. And uh, they came close, you know, three years ago against Virginia to finally using that combination to get through a final four and it didn't work. And, um, that it's 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 the elusive thing for them right now where they are still kind of this holdout a little bit to playing that style of, of basketball um and and at, at, as kind of just again like a foundational staple and year after year having that be the thing that they're building on and i think it's you know i don't necessarily think that as as we saw on sunday that you have to have a seven foot guy to neutralize that sometimes you neutralize it by doing other things well yeah, and there's also, if you're going to have a guy who's that big, he better be pretty good. Eddie wasn't this good last year. You know, he was, he's having 15 points this year. He wasn't that no, last year. Is that year. good he, now? Yeah. He's a he, three-star he, recruit. He was like in the it's, 400s. It's not even that. Last year, he was, a, he was a bench player who was averaging nine points off the bench, just basically just being a backup big for them, which is fine. The jump he's taken, I don't think anybody was expecting to happen. You That – that doesn't always happen with guys who are that big. They usually just end up being a guy who takes up space in there, not a guy that you're trying to run offense through. Because Ohio State did have a guy who was a seven-footer in Ibrahim Diallo, and he just never developed. Guys like that don't always develop into what Zach Eady is. So that's kind of a – he's more of a one-off, while what Ibrahim Diallo ended up being for Ohio State during his time here is more normal for what you expect these seven-footers who are three-star recruits to be. Three-star recruit. I'm throwing that part in there. Yeah, but they did it. And Ohio State like never has. And Edie's averaging 15 points a game and shooting 70% from the yeah. floor. He had 20 points. He was seven of nine from the floor against Ohio State, six eleven from the foul line. And like I didn't think Ohio State did suffer. Like I, I, excuse me, I didn't think Purdue did suffer any. I don't know what like what I know what you're saying, Nathan. That normally sometimes with a guy like that you do give something up. I'm not sure what Purdue ended up giving up against Ohio State. And meanwhile. Purdue could just like go to him and he had a six inch height, 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 height advantage over everybody guarding him. And he just got a couple 
key buckets for them, 20 points in 21 minutes. I know that was probably an extreme example of it, but he is averaging 15 and Ohio state has not been very big since Caleb Wesson left. And Against Purdue, again, it's like as this thing has slightly shifted a little bit, that these are two very similar programs that the last couple of years, Purdue's kind of had the edge slightly on that. I do feel like Purdue being a little bit bigger is something that has come up. I want to end with this, and then we'll let Nathan go. So I thought that Sunday's game was probably, Nathan, pretty indicative of Purdue in that Purdue has been a program that has been very good, but has kind of bumped its head against the ceiling a lot of times and has often, even when they've made the Sweet 16, it's like, man, I thought they might win the national title and they only made the Sweet 16. And then, oh, I thought they might make the Sweet 16. They got bounced in the first round. Like they, often they underachieve to what they look like in the course of the season. And so for Purdue to blow a 20-point lead, in that game and have it come down to a terribly run play and a dude with a bailout fall the way three pointer saving them felt to me as a Purdue outsider, like, yeah, that feels like Purdue. Like they can't deal with success. They don't know what they're doing. I'm sure there were people on the stands at Mackey arena who were like, Oh my God, here we go again, Matt Painter. But then they won. And then Steven, the thing that I'm wondering about, and we'll get to Nathan's answer on Purdue is now is what happened on the Ohio state side indicative of Ohio State's new possibly identity that do should we be viewing this Ohio State team as a little bit of an underdog team who scraps and fights and never gives up and gets down and is maybe a guy or two short and it's a little bit you know they wish they had a big man and all they but they they fight to the very end and that says something good about Ohio State's team but then it says something about the program so that's I, I, I thought it was maybe in the end a snapshot of where both these programs are. Ohio State gets down 20, never never gives up, but loses. Purdue gets up 20, blows it, eh, but they found a way to win in the end. From the Purdue side, Nathan, does, did that feel like a Purdue kind of game? I, I've definitely covered a lot of Purdue games like that um, and uh, games where uh, they would be up. I remember a game they were up by like 19. They were having a big celebration for Rick Mount, one of the great Purdue players of all time at, at Mackey Arena. They're up like 19 at halftime against Iowa and then Iowa comes out and presses them and they end up blowing the game and losing. And uh, that was the year that they went on and lost to Little Rock in the first round, a 12-5 upset, if people might remember that, a game in Denver that went to like double overtime and they were up by 13 with four minutes left and blew it. So, I mean, you can't, it's it's part of their identity right now. The one thing I would say, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'm saying this in defense of Purdue, but I think it's legit. That era that you were talking about before where they were pretty strong, you know, we've talked before about windows as it relates to Ohio State football. Like, this is where it's all coming together. Like, 2013 is kind of the window all coming together. Well, Ohio, Purdue had that window where it was going to be um, Robbie Hummel, Etuan Moore, Jawan Johnson all together, kind of, and then Hummel tears his ACL, and it throws off when they would have had the best version of all that together. And right. then they had uh, the year where Isaac Haas uh, falls and breaks his arm in the first game of the NCAA tournament when, you know, that team didn't really get, that team still got to the Sweet 16, but didn't get to see how good it, it could have been. They had the game a couple of years ago where, they, again, they've got Virginia, the eventual national champion on the ropes, and they're up. And then Virginia has that weird, just perfect sequence of events to get the buzzer beating shot off, and they lose in overtime to the eventual national champion. So I, I would, maybe that's the big, Biggest difference between Purdue and Ohio State in the last 
what whatever this 20 year run or so is that Ohio State kind of got to see it's the 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 best versions of the teams that it had in there got to kind of exist completely all the way to that championship opportunity and I don't know if that's necessarily happened for Purdue or the one time it did they got beat by that buzzer beater so um you know there was their year the the best team they had was Swanigan they had to play Kansas in Kansas City in the Sweet 16 the number one seat you know things like that just now now we're in a Purdue excuse making podcast it's not an excuse making podcast because they there there are no excuses for what happened against Little Rock and what happened against Cincinnati the year before that where they're up by seven with a minute left so like I'm just saying that um this is a part of Purdue's identity that has to shake in a way that I don't think that's true of Ohio state. I don't think people think of Ohio state as a program that has like gotten in its own way because it's been able to get to a national championship game in this same era. No. And if Ron Lewis doesn't hit the shot against uh, Xavier, maybe we view Ohio state's program a little bit differently too, but Purdue's a bunch of chokers who have good players and they blow it. So they choked they, I mean, the stuff they did on Sunday was ridiculous. Some of the stuff they did. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's insane, it like, including by Ivy. Ivy was like all over the place, like a crazy person. In the last five minutes, they was like, oh, let me make, me, let me make this fall away 25 footer. But yeah. up until then, it was like, well, you threw the ball out of bounds. You like jacked a three pointer with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. It's like, what are you doing? So that's on Painter. There's a lot. Yes, they had injuries, but like they've never maxed out. They've never maxed out. But right sure. now, I would say if they are like they are a very good team that you have to hold your breath. Are they going to blow it? But is Ohio State maybe not quite as good of a team and maybe not as good of a program? I don't know. But like, God, they fight, man. They go down to the last second. So I'm trying to establish Sunday to me was Purdue as this really good program that gets in its own way. But did we learn something about Ohio State's basketball identity now? And that was a long prelude to get ready to dig into Ohio State's basketball identity next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Nathan is gone. Steven, what I, what I wanted to establish was There was a time when these two programs were very similar, but Ohio State was ahead. Now these programs are very similar. Do we maybe view Purdue as ahead? And do we maybe view Ohio State as something of an underdog program at the moment? Not that they aren't talented, but that again, they're just, there may be one scorer short. There may be one big man short, but they never stop fighting. They do have guys and I want to talk specifically about EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham and the way they responded in the final minutes as Purdue was losing its mind. But that that game from Ohio state to get down 20, it's like, well, don't get down 20 on the road against Purdue, but man, Steven, my God, they just, they absolutely never stop. But the thing that I'm curious about is, so then do we view that experience as mostly a positive one for Ohio state? Do we view it as a negative one? Is it just basketball? You can't, you know, my God, you lost on the road to a top 10 team on a last second shot. That's about as good of a loss as you can have. And everybody loses in college basketball. I think how you view Ohio State's identity as a program right now would somewhat affect how you view how Sunday's game played out and what the result was. 
So far in my time covering this Ohio State basketball beat in the Holtman era, I've come to a couple of conclusions. But the biggest one is that there's always a thing that's an inerrant flaw that ends up costing them every mm-hmm. single time. And the football team's kind of like this too, but with basketball, it's a little bit more drastic because okay, I'm going to stop you right there. But like, yeah, but the football team like made the playoff, well, right. should have made it, and then made the national championship yeah, game, right? Which is why like, I say with basketball, it's a lot more drastic. Well, Whether the whole point is that the basketball team is not doing any of that. So yes, I guess they each have a flaw, but one has a flaw that shows up like in the final four, and one yeah. has a flaw that shows up against Oral Roberts in the first round. So yeah, you know. It, it is a yes, you're acknowledging it's a difference. I'm just acknowledging that is a huge difference. Go ahead. Fair. Uh, whether it's, you know, they don't have a perimeter guy who can get his own shot. And back when during the Caleb Wesson era to last year, they don't really have an answer for other teams who have big men in a year where every single Big Ten team seems to have a Big Ten player of the year candidate as a big man. And then this year, it's like, EJ Liddell is really, really good. In every game Malachi Branham plays, he gets better and better and better. And we saw this is like Sunday was the second time we've really seen both of them at their best. And then it's like, okay, what else do you have? Because it's in that it can't just turn into the EJ Liddell Malachi Branham show. They can keep you in games, obviously, but somebody else has to bring it every single night. And right now there's, we don't have a clear answer to who that is because you got Justin Orange who can't throw a ball in the ocean right now. Kyle Young is not a scorer by nature. Uh, Cedric Russell has had some moments in some of these big games, but that, that that's not consistent enough. Michi Johnson is still too much of a roller coaster right now. And as I already mentioned, Justice Suing is out. And so that's where the flaw is this year is uh, after those two, what do you have? Especially when all these other teams seem to have three and four guys. So the thing I, I, I really want to zero in on how we're supposed to view this team before we get to, I want to talk about the things that EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham did down the stretch and the way Eugene Brown played in big yeah. moments in that game Sunday, Ohio state right now is six and three in the big 10. They're a game and a half out of first Wisconsin and Illinois are tied for first at eight and two Michigan state, seven and two Purdue seven and three. Then Ohio state is six and three. Um, they are, Clearly in the top 25, but were they 16th going into that game? Yeah, and so, I voted them, I think, 17th this week in my poll. So, I mean, so yeah, I'm not going to at all punish you yeah. for losing on a buzzer beater on the road to a top 10 team. They got down 20, and I do think it matters that they are not just this team that like gets down and fights back but can't pull it off because this was basically exactly the Duke game. And the Duke game, they did get it done, right? So this mm-hmm. is this is a team that has something inside of it that Chris Holtman deserves credit for and Kyle Young deserves credit for and EJ Liddell deserves credit for and Jamari Wheeler deserves credit for and that these guys never stop. Um, But that to me, when you talk about stuff like that, like that sounds like an underdog team to me, right? That's not, that's like, Hey, we got down 20 on the road and we never stopped fighting. And I don't want to say mid-major. And at times I've wondered, I bring it up a lot. Like, okay, Chris Holtman was successful at Butler, but Ohio State's not Butler. Like, are you going to make Ohio State Ohio State? Are you going to make Ohio State like a version of Butler? Because Ohio State probably should be better than Butler. And although Butler made back-to-back national championship games, not with Chris Holtman, but like, you know, there's a lot of good things that you can bring with Butler. So I'm not saying it's a Butler kind of thing, because again, they're in the top 20 in in the country and they've beaten Duke this year. But I don't know that 
we should view them as in the top tier. I don't know the, in the big 10, not even nationally, like in, in the top, they're maybe not in the top tier in the big 10. They're in the second tier and they are like scrappy. And EJ Liddell is awesome. And Malachi Branham is coming on, but they're a little bit of an underdog. And that like, it's like, Hey, how are you going to be produced? Like we're going to go in there with heart and gumption. You know, it's not, you don't say, well, we're going to go in there and we're going to like run this play and we're going to make sure that we get like, I don't know. I, that's not a bad thing, but I'm trying to get a handle on how fans should watch this because watching an underdog team sort of overachieve is a wonderful thing. Watching a program that you're like, how come we don't make the final four anymore? What's wrong with us? We only got to the sweet 16. It might be the same results, but it's not as satisfying. It's not as fun. So I'm asking what lens we should view, and, and I won't say the program, but I'll say the team, because we know there's a great recruiting class coming in. This team, is it an underdog team, Stephen? I don't know if I like that word, but I understand I, the sentiment. I know. Of what, it what might be saying. a cop-out. It might be yeah. a cop-out to be like, uh, well, I didn't expect anything from these guys, so I guess, you know, Purdue lost at the buzzer is pretty good. Well, you no, know, it's, 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 it's just more that I don't – the sentiment you're, you're suggesting – is valid. I just don't know if the word that goes with it is underdog because it's this team is good enough to beat the number one team in the country on every night. They're also good enough for the number one team in the country to beat them by. They're also bad enough for the number one team in the country to beat them by 30, which is it's, that's what being tier two and tier three in college basketball kind of is where it is kind of a lot of your games are going to give you a heart attack because this isn't the think about it. They needed a buzzer beater to be accurate. This is the same team who needed a buzzer beater to be accurate and they beat Duke. And then they almost beat Purdue. Like that, that's the same team we're talking about here. And that's not necessarily underdog status, but it's, 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 this team is very similar to the other Holtman teams right now, where right now, as of, you know, January 31st, they could make the elite eight. They could make the final four because they get hot. They could also lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Those things are both on the table because it's been such a roller coaster this season for all one because of the talent level, but also, yeah, they had a 22 day COVID pause, which can mess up the momentum they had after they beat Wisconsin. So you throw that in there as well. Do you, do you think the underdog label, if I'm trying to slap an underdog label on this team, is it selling them short? Like, is it an, an insult in some ways of like, man, I team that's got EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham and plays at Ohio state. Like they can't, what are you doing? This is not, no, I don't, don't slap that underdog label on them. That's that underestimates them. Yeah. I, I just think it's too far left because you can't be an underdog when you have a big 10 player of the year candidate and a big 10 freshman of the year candidate. You just can't. That's, that's, that's too much to be an underdog, but you can be a team who is overachieving. So like Thad Mata's second year, the Terrence Dials Big Ten Player of the Year, Jaquel Foster, um, J.J. Sullinger, that team, Matt Sylvester, mm-hmm. that team that was a two seed in the NCAA tournament and I think won the Big Ten. Um, but like once they got to Georgetown in the second round and Ohio State was a two and Georgetown was a seven, but Georgetown had Jeff Green and Roy Hibbert. Thad Mata was like, we don't got that. Yeah. And he knew it was a horrible yeah. matchup and they got rolled by Georgetown in the second round. People weren't like, oh, my God, how did this team? Oh, they're a two seed. How do you lose in the second round? I was like, man, I can't believe they were a two seed. Mm-hmm. Terrence Styles was the player of the year. What are we talking about? Because then it was like Mike Conley and Greg Oden and Daquan Cook and David Lighty came. And it was like, oh, that is what a, 
That's what a real national championship team looks like. And I just, but I think people like loved that team, that Terrence Styles, Jaquel Foster team, because God, they played hard. God, Jaquel Foster played hard. God, Terrence Giles, Terrence Styles got every ounce out of his talent. You know, like all of that. I just, I think people loved that team and they maxed out at what they were. And I think this team is probably closer to a Terrence Styles, Jaquel Foster team than it is to the Mike Conley, Greg Oden team of the following year. That was like from the jump was like, well, they might win the national title. Now they are better. I think they're, they are more talented. EJ Liddell is more talented than Terrence Styles, and Malachi Branham is more talented than probably the second score on that team. But I wouldn't mind helping people get in that frame of mind a little a little bit, because I do think there are times, whether it's Purdue and size, whether it's whoever they're going to play that has teams that have two lottery picks. You know, if you make the sweet 16, it's like, Oh, might play two lottery picks. It's like, does Ohio state have two lottery picks? It's like, no, I don't think they do. And there's a way to really, really, really enjoy this season. um, If you acknowledge the, the shortcomings of this team, they're not, horrible shortcomings they're not glaring shortcomings but they they do have games steven i think where they run up against a team and you think to yourself they don't have that and at least they fight hard for starters i love you trying to convince fans that they should feel like the world is against them Ohio State fans of all fans that the world is against them. I think that's what they they love to feel like everybody's against them. Yeah. I mean, well, you know. I spend most of my time screaming at them that like it, 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 with football, we're not actually not against you. Yes, no, it's not. Yeah. You're as good as anybody. Relax. You don't get yeah. to be an underdog. Sorry. Um, but I yes, I am fairly you normally I am trying to strip underdog labels yeah. from teams that want them here. I'm trying to slap an underdog yes. label on a team that is like, what are you talking about? We beat Duke. We're in 16th in the country. Why are we an underdog? It's yeah. like, uh, Doug says you're an underdog because you don't have Greg Oden. And Chris Holtman's going to be like, that guy is driving me crazy again. But yeah, that's where it. I'm coming from. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I love it. And their issues are not glaring. But when they show up, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, that's why they're not there. That's what, And that's what Sunday was. It, it, yeah. Sunday, it was, like I said, Purdue had four guys. And they actually, like, like their best two guys come off the bench. And Jaden Ivey and Travion Williams. And they just like line changed them with Sasha and Zach the entire game, which I thought was like, that's amazing. It's like you always got two guys who are a threat on the court. And you never put them all together to the end of the game. While with EJ, when EJ was struggling early on, part of that is because there was no other threat on the floor if you took Malachi off of that. So they just sold out on him. And so it's like, okay, well, there's going to be no offense until Malachi comes back in the game. And then once they both got going, obviously they made some great plays down the stretch, especially you know EJ with those two big threes to tie the game up. But it's like, you take one of those guys off the floor and you let a defense sell out on the other one. It's like, okay, so they're just not going to have any offense for whatever time period until Holtman brings the other one back into the game. Purdue never had that problem. Now we'll see when they play Illinois, if they ever have that problem, but that was a glaring issue. And even in the Duke game, it was kind of like that. It's just, you know, Paolo had a bad night, so it didn't matter anymore because EJ was able to win. EJ played better than him that night. I can't, you can't ask EJ and Malachi to consistently play better than three and four people every single night and be the only ones doing it. So I want to talk about 
Eugene Brown a little bit because uh, Jaden Ivey, game saver for Purdue, was the number 89 overall player in the class of 2020, according to 247 Sports. Uh, Ohio State's 2020 class, Beachy Johnson was number 126 player. Eugene Brown was the number 143 player. And, you know, Ivey's 6'2", Brown's 6'6". I'm not saying they're the same kind of player. But I thought Eugene Brown, and again, I'm not going to pretend I've watched every game from this team this year, like looked very comfortable doing what he was doing in the moments he was doing them in that game. And he was defending Ivy on the last play. And I thought defended him like quite well. They played man. He followed him around the court, went under the final screen, which he had to do, but got right on him and got his hand up and didn't foul him and forced him to shoot a fadeaway three-pointer with one second left. I thought Eugene Brown did exactly, pretty much what you want a guy to do guarding the guy, you know, they want to get the ball to at the end of the game. And then I thought offensively, he looked comfortable with the ball in his hands. He went to the basket a couple times. And I, I'm not saying that he's going to be Jaden Ivy this year, but like that made me think about, man, maybe it's just, maybe this is an acclimatization year for Eugene Brown, but that looked like a guy who was okay. Very ready for the moment in a late and tight game, nine points and 20 minutes in that game, the game before against Minnesota, he didn't score. Um, so he's been like up and down. Was that one of his better games? And what did you, did Eugene Brown show you anything for the near future or a year from now future with where he is right now? Yeah, I think that was the best game of his career so far. Um, they recruited him with the idea of him being a three and D player. And he's got the defensive side of that down. I mean, he, like you said, he made things as tough as possible for Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey's just a lottery pick. So sometimes the lottery pick's going to win those battles. Um, now he's just got to find his shot, which has struggled. He's been about 28% the last two seasons. He's just got to find that shot. But I wrote this in the offseason, really right after the, the loss to Oral Roberts or some things that needed to happen this offseason, happen next season for Ohio State to take that next step. And one of the things I wrote was Eugene Brown needs to make Chris Holtman not have to play Justin Orange and Musa Jallo back when they were both mm-hmm. on the roster, because that, that, it seemed like last year they were having to choose between three point shooting or defense when playing those two guys. And when Justin Orange's shot is not going, then you have to go defense with Musa Jallo who can't shoot either. And it put Ohio state in, in some positions where they were kind of lost out there offensively or defensively. Cause you were playing one of those two guys. How about you just not play either one of them and play the guy who can do both in Eugene Brown, who's a great defender who just needs to find his shot. So if he can find his shot, especially now that Justin Orange is, I mean, every single year we get to a point in the season where Orange hits a shooting slump and his shot really never comes back after he has a breakout game. We're in that now. And he didn't start against, um, against uh, Purdue. They started Michi Johnson and Jamari Wheeler in the backfield, in the back, back backfield, in the backcourt. Eugene Brown can still come off the bench for you, but I do feel like if he can start to find his shot, we should start to see his minutes continue to go up and be in the 15 to 20 minute range. And we should see Justin Orange's minutes start to go down because if he's not making shots for you, he doesn't have value. While with Eugene Brown, you can be patient in him waiting to find his shot because you're going to face more Jaden Ivey's down the road here. If you want to do what you want to accomplish this season. All right. When we come back, we'll dig in on EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham and what we learned about them in Ohio state's loss to Purdue on Sunday. Next on Buckeye talk. Doug Landry is back with Stephen Means. You want to try the text 
basketball, recruiting, football, all in the text, 614-350-3315. Like if you want basketball, it's there for you. It's free. It's included with all the stuff. If you're not interested in basketball, you don't have to get the basketball stuff, but you get the, all the football recruiting and all the football stuff uh, comes right to you. I did think like, I thought Brown looked ready for that. It was this, the weird little run where like Cedric Russell was kind yeah. of doing some stuff. And then he had like, took like a heat check three and it was like, that's not it. And yeah. it was like, that to me was like, okay, if like Cedric Russell is trying to pull you back into the game, I don't know where you are as a program. He wound up with nine points, four of eight from the field, one of five on threes. And he did, he did like the first time they got back in the game, he sort of dragged them there, but then they got down like 13 again. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right, well, here we go. But there was a stretch where he helped them. But that to me felt like an underdog help. That's like a guy who might get hot, but let's ha- not have Ohio State be relying on him to like save their bacon in the NCAA tournament. Eugene Brown feels a little more real to me. Eugene Brown, three of five from the field, also nine points. Again, Brunk, kind of very specific. Kyle Young is Kyle Young. Huge steal at the end of the game. They wound up with five bench guys playing more than 10 minutes. So this was a, they went 10 deep in this game for sure. So I, I really thought Eugene Brown showed something. I thought Jamari Wheeler is, is who he is again. I had a really nice smart play where he kicked out to Liddell for a three at a crucial moment. It was like, that's the exact right play to make at that time. Kyle Young with the steal. That's the exact right play to make at that time. You need some guys like that, right? You need some role players who do their jobs, but late Steven, both EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham are guys who want the ball in their hands in the final four minutes. And I think are right in the right spot of, they don't take crazy shots. They don't, I didn't think they forced anything. The first big Liddell three is created off of Malachi Branham penetration where he kicks to Liddell horrible defense by Purdue. They just lose. They don't even set a good screen. Liddell just no. leaks to the corner and his, the defender just left EJ Liddell. It's like, Oh, who do you want to cover on this possession? Maybe EJ Liddell. They leave him wide open for a corner three for no reason. Cause his man decided to hedge out top on the guy coming around. It's like, what are you doing? But Malachi Branham, Drove the lane, found him with a perfect pass. EJ Liddell nails it. And then after the Kyle Young steal on the inbounds, he gets it to Jamari Wheeler. Wheeler kicks it out to EJ Liddell at the top of the key for a long three. And my favorite thing, you can screenshot it. Malachi Branham is standing off to his side and he is like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. EJ, I'm ready. I'm ready. Like if EJ thought, you know what? I'm a little deep. I don't want to shoot this. Malachi Branham was like, I am going to make this if you pass me the ball. And I like that screenshot because EJ nailed it, tied the game. But EJ and Malachi are legit scorers late in the game. And maybe to your point, Stephen, maybe a true underdog only has one of those guys. Ohio State has two. The whole point is, do they have a third? But they both scored 20. EJ was 7 of 16. Brandon was 7 of 10. And like, all that translates. That's not going away. Branham is here to stay. Liddell is Liddell, even if he's a little cold for a moment in a game, when you need him at the end, he will be there. And I thought the way those guys were ready to make big shots at the end of the game was like, yep, that's going to be dangerous. Eugene Brown hit two free throws with 409 left to make it a 70 to 61 game. And that's the last time somebody not named Malachi Brennan or EJ Liddell didn't score. 
they were responsible for their last 17 points there. That's that's what we're talking about. And it it wasn't so much. It was, it was like they were taking turns for a little bit. Yep. That's how this should be. And I, I, I'll, t- I'll tap into that a little bit more in a second. But I do think there's another game out there where Cedric Russell is going to do what he did on Sunday. Just like he, because he did it against Duke too. He kind of made some big shots late that allowed them to stay, allowed them to win that game. He's going to do that again, but like that's not every night. I think it's going to show up maybe in the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament because he just seems like those are the moments where those moments are going to happen. But back to EJ Liddell and Malachi Brennan because that's what matters most here. I, what I loved about this game is that ex, how it played out is exactly how this is supposed to work. EJ couldn't find a shot in the first half. Your best player couldn't get it done. So your second best player needs to carry the load until your best player is ready to do it. EJ could he couldn't find anything in the first half, and so Malachi Branham is he's efficient. He had like nine points and standing like five minutes or something like that. He was efficient with his shots. He was getting to the free throw line. He was aggressive and looking for his shots, and it gave EJ some time in the second half to find himself because first half Malachi Branham nine points on four of six shooting. EJ Liddell six points two of six shooting. Second half. Malachi Branham, 11 points, three of four shooting. EJ Liddell, 14 points of five of 10 shooting, including two of four from the three-point line. That Both of those came late. That's how this is supposed to work. If your best player can't find it, your second best player needs to do a little bit more. It all, now, there's going to be some nights where EJ's got it going early, and then Malachi's going to have to finish him off. But that's how they should, they should work. They should be working in tandem like that in these big games. And so we saw it against Northwestern, but Northwestern stinks. This is the first time in a truly competitive game against a quality opponent that we've seen both of these guys play well. And it looked beautiful. And quite frankly, if Ivy doesn't hit that shot at the buzzer, Ohio state has all the momentum and there's a chance they probably win that game in overtime with the way those two were playing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's what you want that Branham has come around as, as you predicted and as expected um, is huge for them. And that is, that is a legit, one, two scoring punch. They now have this stretch coming up home versus Iowa, home versus Maryland at Rutgers at Michigan home versus Minnesota. Minnesota's two and seven. Iowa this is in the big 10 Minnesota's two and seven. Iowa's four and five Maryland's three and seven Michigan's four and four Rutgers is six and four. This is an opportunity. Right, Stephen. Like, yeah. is four and one the threshold that they should they go four and one in this stretch um, of next their next five opponents, and until they get to home versus Indiana, then at Illinois, and then you've got some Michigan and Michigan State to finish the season again. Is that too much to expect, or is that reasonable? Because there again are um, six and three in the Big Ten right now. If they can get to ten and four, man, I mean, that's pretty darn good. Is that doable? Yeah, this is a much more reasonable schedule than what last year's end of the season schedule was for a team who's trying to actually win a regular season Big Ten title because you're not finishing the season with top 10 team, top 10 team, Hall of Fame coach, top 10 team. There's only three games left, given the way Michigan's played this year. They've been a bit of a disappointment. The Indiana game, the Illinois game, and the Michigan State game are the only ones that I think should be toss-ups. I think they should win the rest of these games, and that could – put them in a position to win the regular season Big Ten title. I would have liked their chances more had they won yesterday, but, you know, things happen. But I do think just based on what their schedule is, what we've seen from Ohio State already this season through these first 18 games, I think they're in a good position still to win the, or get at least a share of the Big Ten championship. Michigan maybe coming around a little bit. Lost to Michigan State 
pretty big recently, had won three in a row before that. Um, Rutgers, again, Rutgers has a winning record in the Big Ten. Like, you go to Rutgers, That's at Rutgers in the middle of February is one of those, like, at Rutgers. Yeah. And then, like, if you're not careful, Rutgers will get you. Um, and listen, not it, it's nice to think. You lose a game here you're, here and there, you're not supposed to lose, and that happens. Four and one would be a pretty good, pretty good idea for them. Get to ten and four, and then take your chances with Illinois and Michigan State down the stretch, and and see where you can be. I think if they want to win the Big Ten, I think they have to go four and one in these five games. Yes. So, um, I thought even it's one of those things. Sometimes people are always against moral victory. It's like that was about as good of a loss as you could have. So I do think. Do you think that will propel them a little bit? That. We were down 20. We came back and fought. Our guys scored. We found a way. Like, is that should should they be feeling good going into this stretch of five games? Well, victories are okay in basketball. You play a lot of games. So, yeah, yeah because you can walk out of that game thinking you can beat the, this team. When, you know, five minutes before a lot of that took place, you couldn't have said that. The way it was looking, especially the first – after the first six or seven minutes of the second half, it's like, okay, Purdue's just better than this team, and it is what it is. You just got to chalk it up and come back on Thursday against Iowa and try to play better. You can walk away feeling like – that's the thing about losing on a buzzer beater. You can always feel like we should have won that game. And it, the next time down the road, you may be a little bit more prepared if you do a couple of things differently here and there down the stretch. So, yes, this is a place where a moral victory is okay. And also with this five-game stretch, they're going to try to reschedule the Nebraska game that got whacked yes. by COVID maybe yes. in this stretch coming up? Yeah, sometime mid-February is the expectation, but that's not set in stone yet. But that is the idea is to try to po- is, is, to postpone it and try to play it again. But they got to fit it in somewhere where somebody's not playing, you know, three games in five days. Yeah, and Nebraska's awful. So that's like a that's that, a, that would have a been sure a win. win. Yes. So they might even be able to get they might have six in a row here before they get to again. Then the end of the season is Indiana, who they lost to before. Indiana is good. I think Indiana is like a good a good comparison for Ohio State. They finish mm-hmm. Indiana at Illinois at Maryland and then home with Michigan State, Michigan. So that's a if you can get to 10 and four, even 11 and four before you get to that, that would be pretty good. All right. We are going to start digging in on basketball. We'll be back with the Tuesday morning pod based on what we heard from Ryan Day and some of these assistants on Monday. Wednesday is signing day. We are anticipating might be able to talk to some of the new signees, um, some of the young guys. We've done that the past couple of Februarys. We're thinking we'll get that Wednesday. That will certainly make it interesting for the Thursday and Friday podcasts. If that is the case, make sure you guys are reading cleveland.com slash OSU for Steven's basketball coverage. And then of course, Nathan's still writing football. Um, there's recruiting stuff that drops in there and there's recruiting stuff dropping in the text. There's basketball and football stuff. Drop it in the text. You can sign up at 614-350-3315. For a little bit of Nathan Baird and a lot of Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.